Welcome back to the CU Aware podcast. On today's episode, we're going to have a bit of a worldly experience. We have a couple of South Carolina credit union employees on the show to share their world DE experience. Yes, a full immersion into this program. It's very cool. On today's show, we have with us Courtney Jackson with The League. Hi, everyone. And myself, Phil Kachaleski with Coastal. And uh, we are interviewing today Terry Hendricks of Carolina Foothills Federal Credit Union and Troy Hall of South Carolina Federal Credit Union. They recently had the opportunity to go to Bangkok, Thailand for some cultural immersion acclimation to get to understand the area and Cebu in the Philippines to do a bit of the same and meet with some local credit union advocates and cooperatives. Troy also went to Manila the Philippines afterwards and then Tokyo Japan to do a little bit of the same and and expand his this trip so today we're going to learn about what the program is learn about their experiences and see what they have to share with all of you to bring the worldly experience back home to understand how we as individuals can affect our communities here and advance the credit union movement so why don't we jump into it yeah grab those passports and go Well, Terry, Troy, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. If we could start off by just um, briefly each of you introducing yourselves, what credit union you're at and and what you do. Okay. um, Thank you. Uh, My name is Terry Hendricks, and I'm vice president of um, business development and community engagement for Carolina Foothills Federal Credit Union. Uh, We're located in the upstate of South Carolina. Hey, uh, thank you for having me on the show. My name is Troy Hall. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for South Carolina Federal Credit Union and SCF Solutions, LLC. Uh, South Carolina Federal serves in four primary markets here in South Carolina, and um, I'm just excited about the opportunity that I have to uh, share this experience of our international trip with you today. If we could start out by just an understanding uh, of what the program is you guys went on. We have an international uh, credit union development educator designation um, if you participate in our United States program for credit union development educators and then you go on to another program such as Africa DE or uh, the UK DE then uh, you could get your international designation. So this is taking it a step forward. Um, Everybody who attended already had their um, home country development educator designation, and we came together to um, basically enjoy the fellowship of the worldwide DE program, but to also try to put in in place uh, maybe some parameters of where that program or that conference uh, could go from this uh, novel uh, conference that we just had. Okay, and Terry, do you know how long the World DE program has been going on? Is this something new? Yes, this is something that, uh, and Troy, jump in here at any time, but this is something that they just started this year. I believe it's the brainchild of Good Sampson from the Philippines, uh, who had been talking with Lois Kitch uh, for a number of years and also. Uh, George um, Bato from Africa DE program. Um, so it kind of all just kind of came together, I believe, Troy, maybe in the last 12 months or so. 
Yes, it did, and it's uh, it was a pilot program so that we could decide um, how to take it. Uh, one of the advantages of the credit union movement, and, and certainly looking at it, is its global impact uh, across the uh, you know across the world. And the ideal behind every um, global project we do is to ensure that the cooperative financial services model is available and accessible to people everywhere. And with the primary emphasis focusing on people helping people, but more specifically focused on improving the financial conditions of people's lives, sometimes it touches them socially as well as economically. And the GLOBE or the World Program was an opportunity for us to start connecting these national programs as we continue to elevate our experiences internationally. So part of what Terry and I did as being there was also to experience a cultural immersion, so to speak, and begin to recognize and understand uh, cultural differences and similarities and why people think the way they do and how all of that will impact it. So the World DE program is that connection. It's a way for us to link all these uh, international programs that are happening in their own countries on a national level, and then to actually bring them together and really foster more of a community of, of getting synergy around these particular um, activities. So where did you go on this trip? Well, we started in Bangkok. That was the first place we went to. And so uh, the, the trip uh, for Terry and myself went to Bangkok and then to Cebu in the Philippines. And that's where we primarily had our experience and how we had our interna international connection with other like-minded individuals in the Development Educator Program. And then I continued my program on into Manila and then to, uh, to Tokyo. So, uh, Terry, why don't you go ahead and just share a little bit about our experiences in Bangkok and Cebu, and then I'll speak more about mine for Manila and Tokyo. Okay, no problem. So, um, I feel like the first part of it, uh, the Bangkok portion was kind of our introductory to what the um, Asian uh, culture is like. Um, we, we did a lot of touristy things. Uh, you know, we rode elephants. We went to the floating market. Uh, we went um, snorkeling with whale sharks. Uh, all these type things kind of just helped us uh, get acclimated to some of the wonderful things about that culture. Um, we didn't really uh, visit co-ops uh, in that portion, although we were just kind of getting to know each other uh, coming from different parts of the United States or different parts of the world, different parts of Africa and Philippines or, or Asia. So it was more of a way to bring us together and get us Get us familiar with each other as well. That's wonderful. Terry, how about how many people did you have as part of the group? Uh, Troy, help me out here. Did we have, I think we had a total of 12 from the United States. Is that what you remember, Troy? Yeah, so, so, so somewhere we hovered between 20 to 24 people, depending upon, um, uh, you know, how we interacted and, you know, where individuals were from time to time. So. The, as Terry said, the Bangkok expo exposure was the cultural immersion. It was to help give us an understanding of, you know, what was it like, what is it like in Asia? What is, uh, what, what is actually happening? And to be able to experience some of that. And although, you know, she mentioned the elephant ride and the, 
and the swimming with the whale sharks and those types of things, it's, it's very uh, often easy for people to get confused and go, wow, that was a really great vacation you had. But it really, those experiences were all part of the learning aspect um, to begin to understand what people do in these areas. And so in the relationship, we're looking at the commerce aspect. We're looking at the economic aspect. We're looking at how credit unions fit into these models and how do people, um, you know, how does it work? Like when we went to the elephant uh, village, and yes, riding the elephant was one of the opportunities we had, but it was really taking a look at how do they create their commerce? How do they create their income? How do they create their stream of people that would be a part of that? And really begin to, in my mind, start to think, how does the cooperative model work for a company like this? And then the floating market. I mean, one of the most exciting things about the floating market was the fact that here was an area of real estate that may never have really moved itself to a way of economic development had someone not thought outside the box. And so the, the floating market is actually built on the water, and they use the canal systems of the water to transport people to the market. Now, that I mean, to me, that was like fascinating because here – they would have an area that maybe would have been undeveloped, and they were able to provide some economic condition for, for individuals. And they had a portion of the market where you could actually get to a docking area and get out and walk around, or you could have stayed on the boat and actually shopped from, from a vendor to vendor staying in the boat. Again, recognizing and understanding that those individuals still need the credit union movement. They still need access to savings, access to credit. They have to understand how that works. And so it allows our minds to begin to process a little bit more outside of our own comfort zone and outside of our own understandings of what we see here in the United States to realize even though the principles may be the same, how we go about it or the solutions we may uh, suggest will be very different. And then how you teach someone has to be reflective of the way they will learn and the way they see the world around them. And you have to first create that empathetic connection that you have in order to understand what they're going through so that your recommendations, your conversations, and your partnerships all have great value. So that's the part for me that was extraordinarily exciting about, about doing that. And then, and, and then, Terry, we had an opportunity when we were in Cebu to see what people were like living back in the back areas of this countryside and what the elderly had to face each and every day. Yes. So when we when we got to the Philippines, one of the, um, I guess you could say, almost like a field trip, a credit union field trip, was to go to um, a, an extremely depressed area, uh, poverty-stricken. It was, we found out later um, in talking with some of the local Filipinos that this was actually government housing. Uh, it was unlike any kind of government housing that we are familiar with here in the United States. It basically was an area, probably a couple of acres, that was behind cinder block walls that were probably 10 feet tall and had uh, Constantine or razor wire around the top. Um, when you got inside, it was a maze of shanties uh, loosely put together, uh, you know, in family units that were basically doing not much more than keeping people dry. 
Um, sanitation uh, was non-existent. There were open canals uh, with water and, and uh, you know, wastewater and things like that uh, kind of flowing through through the area. Uh, but we were there to uh, give rice buckets to those individuals who were elderly in that one little community that may not know where their next meal was coming from. And in the rice bucket, um, there was a bag of rice, there was some saltine crackers, there was powdered milk, there was powdered coffee, just some things like that to get them through, like, you know, the staples for the next week. I never will forget um, one lady that we, we uh, our group actually talked to and presented the rice bucket to. She was 106 years old. And it was just phenomenal to me. She couldn't really, she couldn't really walk. She wasn't that ambulatory, but she did lean up off her pallet, and she thanked us. She was grateful for it. We talked to her a little bit, um, you know, and uh, just kind of, you know, talked with her on a human level about we do care for you. We're here, and there are people in this world that care, genuinely care about your well-being. One thing that was also very interesting to me was the children in that one little community. They were very um, glad to see us, and they would high-five us and smile, and they just kind of walked around following us from location to location. And every few um, uh, little houses, I guess you could say, or apartments, there would be a sorry, sorry. And so a sorry, sorry is um, kind of microeconomics at its best. It would be like uh, a lady would have a fruit and vegetable stand. A lady might have um, some other necessities that you need to to cook uh, for the day or, you know, uh, uh, matches or, or fire material or stuff like that. But they were just trying to sell what they could to their neighbors, make a few, you know, a a few, uh, some money in order to sustain their family. So it was just a microcosm of, of a lot of stuff going on there that cooperatives just, you know, really care about based on the principles that we operate under. It was fabulous. I had a great day that day. It was a great opportunity for us to really see individuals working together to solve issues and solve problems and have life occur whether they felt that they were destined to live that way or whether they chose to live that way. And what we are able to do in understanding this and then providing, um, again, our education and the opportunity to, to really help them maybe collectively come together to form a credit union in their particular area and to provide that help is that when we are there to do that, when we have that understanding, we give them hope. And hope is the key to breaking the cycle of helplessness that people feel that they are trapped in. So the work that we do is about helping people find hope that if they are not destined into a life that, uh, like this, uh, to the conditions that Terry spoke about, but there can be something else and something different. As a matter of fact, um, we found out afterwards that a couple of people that were uh, from the Philippines that were in our conference entourage uh, had actually grown up in, under similar conditions and were now working for credit unions in the Philippines, which that was very moving as well.
this sounds like very powerful experiences and I'm sure it changes kind of your perspective on on what we do here what we do out in the world and Troy I, I found this um this quote on your social channel and I wonder if both of you could talk about it a little bit the quote is I left on a journey to change the world instead it changed me it did and where that um, sourced from for me was that um, you know sometimes the individual thinks about their impact that they are going to to receive for themselves and instead what I discovered was that my power of one is going to be for the one. And when I always focus on the other, when I focus on what I'm doing for someone else, I then have an opportunity for transformation. And it isn't so much about changing the world, but it's about changing me and how I see the world. Because the world may not change in some of the issues and the conditions and some of the problems and concerns that we have. But how I see it and how I see my impact, not just what I get out of it, but what I can do for someone else, it completely transforms the entire uh, perspective. And I gained a part of that when I did my uh, travels into Kenya, when I was in the Middle East. Um, certainly here in Asia, that was was it was very clear, and I and I bet uh, Terry will agree with me on this. Everyone who complains about the conditions of life in the United States should spend five days in a third world country in those villages where we spent time. They would kiss the ground they walked on when they came into the United States because your perspective changes. The world did not change, but your perspective changes. I would wholeheartedly agree with that, Troy. Um, I have often thought um, that we do a great disservice to our young people by not requiring that they go outside of this country to see what the rest of the world experiences. I do think it would be transforming here in our own country uh, when they when they get back, and I think it would make us all better citizens and just better people of the world. See, every time we improve our empathy, we are adding to our emotional intelligence. And our emotional intelligence is our ability to interact with people based on how they are connecting emotionally. And when we get that, when we start to understand someone else's shoes and understand someone else's path, then we are in a much better place to have a likeness of mind. And we then might be able to move us to a space of peace. And one of the things that was real important for me in looking at this was to really look at cultural diversity. And the one thing I had mentioned in another one of my uh, comments was that, that cultural diversity was more than just noticing skin tone. It was really understanding where people came from. Like, why do they think the way they do? How did they get that custom? What did that tradition mean? How did it get passed along? What was that icon? What is the ritual? And just open your mind to all of the ways in which that can happen. And when you can accept the way other people think and the way other people act, and we're not talking about destructive thinking here. We're just talking about living life generally. And we are able to see that. We have an opportunity for peace. If we begin to look at cultures and look at the way individuals are in cultures from a position of right and wrong, we polarize people. We move them to the left. We move them to the right. Peace exists in the middle. It exists in a space where 
these two people need to move to so that they can now occupy a new area and a new and a new place. And so that's what allow that's what we really gain by taking these global events. I mean, somebody asked me today. They said, "Well, what does South Carolina Federal benefit when you do a global experience?" I said, "Well, it's not just the individual credit union that benefits; it's the world that benefits." And yes, there are activities that I will now Im- be impacting leadership as a result of this. Like my thinking has changed as a result of these experiences, and I know that I will be able to impact the leadership and the decisions that we make at the credit union. But more importantly, let's not look myopically. Let's look macro at the fact that the global movement needs to be in place so that there is equity and fairness to everyone to have access to savings, mobilization, and credit utilization. And that's what we do because it is a collective mindset. We are focused on what are the needs for those many that we deal with, not just for the benefit of one. And and I I would just chime in and say I've, I've studied many credit union movements. I've studied Ireland. I've studied Latvia, Lithuania. Uh, Dominican. I've hosted people from all over. I've gone to Brazil. I've gone to Guatemala and studied credit unions. And I truly, no matter where you go on this planet, if you go and you talk to someone who works at a credit union, our love and belief in what we do every day to help our members succeed, Mm -hmm. that is a universal language that we all speak. And that comes out Every time you do one of these cultural exchanges like this, it's just you're, you're blown away by the fact that somebody in Africa loves their credit union as much as you do and works as hard as you do to, to make the dreams of your members come true. It's a higher calling, in my opinion. So you're, you're back in the States now, armed with these new experiences and this knowledge. What's, what's next? Is there a next step at, at as part of the World DE program? Well, um, there are some next steps that are going to be taken on, I would say, on like the national level. Uh, with Chad Helmanak, uh, we came up with some ideas about how to move forward and what that might look like. So it's kind of got to go back to um, the U.S. movement uh, with Chad Helmanak, but then we've got Africa involved, we've got the Philippines involved, and then some of these other uh, uh, development educator programs would be asked for their input. But on a very personal level for me, um, some of the time that we spent was in this little village that the co-op meant everything to this village. They brought in uh, the water. They generated the electricity. They paved the roads. They gave the people in the village uh, good housing, affordable housing. And, yeah, they provided the credit union aspect as well. They had it all, all of the needs a person had revolved around this co-op. And one of the things that they did really well was that they involved their children uh, this has always been a struggle for me uh, in the States. It seems like we, we don't do enough to get our children involved. Uh, Carolina Foothills, a couple of years ago, took an initiative to actually start elementary school branches. Uh, we have two of them currently. We have one that's uh, been very successful, uh, have a whole lot of parent engagement, and it's just 
going right along. We have uh, 97% of all the students at this elementary school belong to the credit union. And together as a collective unit, those children in a year and a half have saved almost $40,000, which this is a Title I school. And that's really, that speaks a lot to the children and the parents. I have another school that's also a Title I school that we don't quite have the parent engagement. But what I learned in the in the Philippines was, well, maybe let's make it a little bit more exciting. Let's let's kick it up a notch. Let's get these kids more ex- excited about being a saver at the credit union. And one of the things they did was like a saver of the year. So the Saver of the Year program was based on not the amount you saved, but the number of deposits you made within a school year. And then in addition to that, it would be based on your academic achievements, what clubs you also participated in. You know, did your family also join the credit union? And then finally, does your teacher belong to the credit union? And so I just kind of had this epiphany while I was there. I was like, aha. That's what we can try at this school, uh, Cleveland Academy, and see if we can't get these kids really turned on to the cooperative model, uh, to building their own personal wealth and breaking the cycle of poverty. When I got back, one of the first people I called was the principal or assistant principal at this school. We discussed it. We're printing the posters and the flyers and everything to get this going immediately. And so hopefully, you know, in a year or so, when you check back with me, I'll say, oh, it's going great. (laughs) We've done a great job and we have uh, exactly where we want to be with membership and whatnot. But it's those kind of things that seem so simple, but sometimes it takes a a trip halfway around the world for you to realize how it can be implemented back home. And then you almost truly, it's like an epiphany. Well, let me try that. That might work. So that's the thing that I, I came back with, eager to implement, uh, eager to get started and see if it works here. That's amazing, Terry. Now, for me, my project was taking a look at uh, looking at, you know, my purpose. And my purpose is in the developing of young professionals, seasoned experts in, an, in a way in which they can, um, you know, provide for their own personal and professional success. So I spend time and effort in that part of what I have done working with the Carolinas Credit Union uh, League was to develop a mentoring program. And so, you know, you and I partnered on that uh, program. And uh, Courtney, you have worked with it. Terry has worked with it. We've all seen it grow from one to now 62 kind of individuals involved into this program and going beyond. So for me, I looked at this and said, how can I take this experience and now create an impact of global leaders connecting and and matching up to this world concept that we had. So my international DE project is called the DE Teach Global, and I am working with Constantine Camaras from the Philippines. He is from an organization called Dicto National, which is a cooperative trade association similar to some of the associations that we have in the United States that support the cooperative movement of credit unions there. And the goal is to bring these two cultures together, the Philippines and the United States, and to be able to learn from that and that on that leadership level to really gain some, uh, some traction and some impact. One of the things that 
just totally impressed me when I did the trip to Kenya was a meeting with a group of young men. And I tell this story when I have an opportunity to speak to groups. And this, these men were in a community where they were, um, you know, constantly bombarded with uh, poor economic conditions, crime, prostitution. I mean, things just really not working. And they had a mentor, somebody who believed in them, helped them get an education. And those men could have taken that education and flee. They could have gone somewhere else. But instead, they went back to their community, and they said, we are going to pour ourselves into this community, and we're going to make a change. And they felt that the root cause of the crime and the corruption that was occurring in their area was prostitution. They went to women, and they said there's a difference between the uh, prostitute who believes that that is their life choice and the one who believes I have no choice. And they said, the one that has no choice, they're going to change their perspective. So in our conversation, I say, well, what are you going to do? And they say, we're going to teach them a craft. I go, great. What is it? We're going to teach them to sew. Why? Because then they'll be able to have ownership of it. They'll be able to create something themselves. They'll be able to put it in the marketplace. They'll be able to earn money, and that will grow, and they will develop and go from there. I said, awesome. Now, for just a second, let's take a break and let's go. In the United States, our mindset would automatically have been 500 sewing machines, a large place, printing information, and we would have had said we had to get thousands of people involved. And so I stopped from that comment, and that, that's my head thinking, and I said to them, oh, great. So, so getting started, like how are you going to do this? And they said, well, we have a sewing machine. And I said, you have one sewing machine. They go, yes, we have one sewing machine because if we can change the lives of one person, then we will have made a difference, and that one person will help change the life of another person, and it will go on. So they understood their power of one was for the one and knowing that their power alone was not enough, that they had to change one life and one life at a time. So in contrast, a little bit of, of the way Terry and I are approaching our program, and there's nothing wrong with either approach. It is really looking at how, for me, what was really impacted for me was that power of one. So if I can get this one individual in another culture, in another area, to be able to make an impact to the global movement, then we will continue to keep, uh, keep it working. So we're, and where Terry is talking about bringing in from the youth, that's another great way that we can infuse in, um, information not only into the movement but just into making the world a better place to be anyway um so i think we've talked about bangkok and cebu can we talk a little bit about uh, manila and in tokyo sure so we had an opportunity for um an, another portion of the trip and so for myself um gentleman named brent rempe rempe and myself we went to uh, manila and we were part of the Asian Confederation of Credit Union Forum, and it was the um, event where they had a uh, celebration of uh, Rifeson and his contributions to the credit union movement, and I had an opportunity to speak at the uh, conference. And so part of, again, why I've been speaking so passionately about the power of one for the one, that was the, the main emphasis of the presentation. And so in that, we also had an opportunity to um, do some experiences uh, by meeting with other credit union leaders all around the uh, Asian uh, area and also to visit credit unions. Uh, there were 561 individuals representing 23 separate countries at the conference. Uh, 
And so there was a lot of interaction, a lot of dialogue, uh, very similarly to what we experienced already that we talked about in Bangkok and Cebu. Uh, we still found, I found through the conference that that information was still um, very, very common, that we didn't find something new there that we hadn't thought about or hadn't talked about before. So we know that these issues are common throughout a variety of, of areas. One of the visits that I did was to a credit union that was for a TV station, and it was for just the employees of the TV station. Now, one of the things that's a little different in the movement in Asia and some of these other foreign countries than, the, than in the United States is the way they operate. Generally, we found this in Africa as well, that when a credit union or a cooperative is formed, it's unique for that particular company. And unlike in the United States where we have multiple bonds or we've got communities, most of those credit unions are formed for a single company. So in the one that we visited, they had a cooperative concept where they offered a grocery store and they had some other businesses that were cooperative, um, much like when Terry talked about Cebu when they brought in the water and they brought in the supplies and they did that from a whole cooperative perspective. But they only served the employees of the, of the uh, TV station. But what was really missing from that is they couldn't serve the family members. And so they recognized that one of the areas in which they had to grow and expand was to actually change their charter so that they could involve the family members into that experience. And so it made me start to think a little bit about the whole concept of how we're helping people. But sometimes we get focused on helping the individual of a company, but do we really get a chance to expand into the families? That's what I love about what Terry's program was doing, how she was inspired to come back because of the youth, and that gets you into the family. Anytime you can get the youth and the students involved um, in, a, in, a, in a movement, you're involving the whole family, the nucleus of the mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, sisters, uh, you know, aunts, uncles, that, that whole great uh, piece. And so that was the Manila experience for me, and then uh, into Tokyo uh, again, was part of a cultural immersion, and I met with a, a credit union uh, group that was uh, there in Tokyo. Interestingly enough, we had to have a translator because the folks did not speak English, and one of the questions that I asked them specifically was, what was the number one issue that they faced in their credit union? And it was real estate. And when you think about it for just a moment, it was like, well, that was a dumb moment because here we're talking about Japan and this is the country and it's a limited space and their real estate has to go up because there's only so much land where they can go out. And then the whole issue of being able to lend into real estate and how real estate then creates some of the issues or concerns for them in their, uh, their forward growth and development was some of the things that they faced. So the, the difference for my Tokyo experience is that it was much more of a uh, cultural and a city experience, where in Manila and Cebu and Bangkok, we had actually gone out into the countryside and uh, visited smaller vid- villages. So all these experiences that you you both have had um, and, and from everything you've learned, what, what do you want people to take away from this? Or what do you think they can benefit from hearing from you? Well, for me, I would say this. I would say that you have to connect people, purpose, and passion. And for people to remember that the primary purpose that they get involved with the credit union is for people helping people, 
and to improve the financial conditions of people's lives, even though they have a different task and they have something different along the way, and that they will not ever be able to have that true purpose come to life and to have their passion fulfilled in that if they are only looking at it from a one-dimensional way of thinking. And jokingly, of course, you know, part of my Dr. Troy program is you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable is applying here in that have an open mind, have an open perspective to what people are experiencing in life and, and go back to the purpose of why credit unions were first formed and then create your task and create your work to allow that to move forward. And then you'll get joy and great passion if you align in that way. But if you don't have any desire to help people, then you don't belong in the credit union movement because that's exactly what we're all about. That is so true. I would say um, credit unions definitely attract a certain type of people that become lifers. Uh, I think I'm a lifer. Troy's probably probably a lifer as well. Yes, ma'am. Um, but <laughs> but um, I think for me, uh, you know, it is our business to make sure that our member members have affordable homes or shelter. It is our business to make sure that our members are eating. It is our business to make sure our members have access to health care, to education, to feel safe. That's all our business. And when it gets down to it, the business of credit unions is trying to meet those basic needs in life that we all have. We're all in this together. And if my brother is better off because of the credit union, then isn't my whole community better off because of my credit union? And the other thing for me is that no matter where you go on this planet, if you walk into a credit union and you say, hey, I'm a credit union member or I work at a credit union, you just made a new friend because we all uh, have a deep passion for really, really helping, um, you know, humankind, basically. What about your trip surprised you or an experience that that surprised you? I didn't expect to I didn't expect to miss um our Filipino friends so much mm-hmm. after I left them. And this has happened um before when I've gone to Brazil and uh Guatemala and Ireland or or Malawi, Africa. I just have withdrawal. I just miss them. Uh, and so that first week or two coming back, you know, I'm looking for them on Facebook, um, you know, liking their stuff, I'm having conversations. Um, you just really become so close to each other in such a sh- short amount of time that, you know, you really made friends for life and you just miss them. Well, it's wonderful that there's that social connection that you can have afterwards. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I think... I don't know that I was really surprised by it, but I was uh, pleasantly, I guess maybe you say pleasantly surprised, but it, I was grateful for the way I was accepted immediately and that there was no pretense that I had to um, go through. There was no testing to, to see if I was going to fit in with the group or was I going to you know, uh, be a part of something. It was just like, it was just like present right from the very beginning. And sometimes I think that I would say that in other experiences that I have, when I go to conferences here in the United States, I think sometimes there is an air of pretense. There is an air of 
do you match up? There's a lot of competition between people in their positions and have they done enough experiences and, oh, can I uh, up your trip by my trip and can you do those things? And, And when I went there, there was none of that. I don't know that I really thought that it would happen, but I'm very conscientious of relating to people and making sure that I give myself time to acclimate to them. I mean, I love, I love talking and sharing information, but you have to be careful sometimes when you're first coming into a new place because you don't want to overdo it, and then you don't give everybody a chance to kind of fit into it. You can sometimes overrun it, and so it's just really – it was so nice just to be able to be myself right from the very beginning and to really um, connect with folks to the point where you really miss them when you came home. Is there anything that we missed touching on that um, you guys wanted to share? Any final words or anything? For especially those that are uh, the young professionals, if you're not plugged in to at least the national network of credit union development educators, uh, and and of course the to me the panacea is, is plugging into the international network of development educators i would say that is what i think i would advise young people to do because um again it solidifies that belief system it gives you purpose in your job and um for me i went through in 1993 uh as and became a, a credit union development educator And to me, it just um, validated everything that I thought I wanted to do with my life. And it does truly give me purpose when I come to work every day. There's a bounce in my step because I'm like, okay, what's my next DE project? What's that going to look like? And how is it going to help members get to where they want to be? And I would, I truly would encourage anybody who thinks they might want to do, especially international work uh, of some type, that they might want to go ahead and get plugged in by attending the history, I mean, the philosophy and principles conference uh, that we have in uh, the Carolinas, uh, going to the um, training in Madison, Wisconsin to get your designation. And then from there on, the sky's the limit. For me, one of the things I would ask is that folks remember to tell the story, to find the background between the pioneers that began this movement and what impact those pioneers made. And although you today may not be going after the opportunity of being a pioneer, you do blaze a trail that can be pioneer-like and that we have to tell a story, whether we tell the story on a local or a state or a national or international level. We need and we deserve to tell that story so that others can see the impact that can be made. And that I would encourage people that no matter what the level of impact that they think they can make, they should put themselves out there because the whole world will open up to them when they are able to do that. I I sometimes remind folks that that it is who they claim that they are today that will make a difference in who – they uh, grow up to be tomorrow, and that although they may not be perfectly defined today, it doesn't mean they, get, they don't get a chance to claim it. So be an educator. Be, a, be an individual who cares about someone else. 
don't say, I'm going to wait until I get a little more experience, I get a little more practice, I get a little more of something else. Be that now. And allow their experiences to occur organically. I never set out to be a global speaker or a global expert. I never set out for any of that. I set out to simply do a job every single day. When I started in this movement 25 years ago, it was just about, okay, can I get a job in a space where I can help people and I'm really good at finance, so let's just try that. I mean, it's, it really did that. And I think that for Terry, I know Terry, we didn't set out to say, let's make our resume look great. It was, let's set out to do these things. And then life happens. And then those kinds of things really contribute. And people cheat themselves out of it because sometimes they don't think that they're prepared enough or they're good enough. But the reality is they will be if they simply claim it and if they associate themselves with good people. And I'll tell you, Terry's a good people, and I'm really happy to be associating with her. I'm happy that I was associating with other individuals who went on that trip. And I will tell you, one of the biggest life changes for me was meeting a woman named Lois Kitch. Lois is a pioneer who has changed the face of the credit union movement in the contemporary world today. And I am grateful that I've had an opportunity to be influenced by her. Fantastic. Well, we greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your trip and your credit union philosophy with us. Uh, we know um, people will take it to heart and, uh, and we'll appreciate your time. Um, where, where can people find you? Dr. Troy, I know you're active on social. Yeah, I am. So you can certainly you can find me. Uh, obviously, for me personally, you would find me anywhere in social media at Dr. Troy Hall. That's Dr. Troy Hall. You can find me on my website, drtroyhall.com, drtroyhall.com. And for me, I you know I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Um, friend me, please. It's Terry T E R R I Hendricks H E N D R I X. Or you can call me at my at my Foothills Credit Union Extension, <laughs> <laughs> or email me. So I'm not I'm not hard to find. I'm not hard to find. Well, thank you again. We we greatly appreciate it, and I look forward to to seeing you guys in the future. Yes, thank you both. This is wonderful. Well, thank you thank very you. much. What an inspiration. That that yes. whole trip sounds incredible. Yeah, I want to go right now. <laughs> yeah, how do we how do we DE? I know. Uh, I got I got to start with the DE, I guess. <laughs> Stage 1. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the message though that um you know, we truly can learn from their experience and and do something here ourselves. Yes. We don't necessarily have to go uh visit these countries and and live this culture um to do better in our communities. Yeah. Sure, it may help us get a different perspective. Um, and it's great that they can get that perspective to help influence the work that they're doing. Um, but the fact that we can learn from them and, and do more here and hear, hear everything that they went through, uh, I think is extremely valuable. Yes, definitely. And I mean, even if you can't travel worldly, um, I mean, stepping outside of your day-to-day life at the credit union, can bring new perspective as well. Um, getting more involved in your community and other aspects outside of the financial industry can kind of jog some ideas. Thanks again to Terry and Troy for, for coming on the podcast to, to share their experience. Uh, I know I got a lot from it and hope you all did as well. Um, Courtney, what's going on with the league these days? Oh my gosh, plenty. Um, well, we're actually, funny enough, Terry mentioned it on the um, interview, but Principles and Philosophy is coming around this year. 
um, mid-October. So we'll be going to Sofia, North Carolina. And as Terry said, that's kind of the base level to start if you're looking to get more involved in the the connectedness of the credit union movement uh, on a local level even. Uh, we do that in the Carolinas every October. So people keep an eye out for that for 2019. Um, this will be my first year going myself. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, where can people go to learn more about yeah, so that program? Yeah, that program and any of the other programs that the league has, um, just go to carolinasleague.org slash events, um, and you'll be taken to our full calendar of, of what's going on at the league and opportunities to get more involved. Awesome. And thank you for joining me yeah. as co-host today. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Um, you can all find CU Aware on the various social channels, the Twitters, mm -hmm. the Facebooks. Yes. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, we'd be happy to chat with you. Um, and Dr. Troy has a, a big presence yes. on Facebook and, and Twitter and LinkedIn. So go check him out. And, uh, and, and Terry wants, wants to be your friend. So go find her on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us on this episode. Let us know what you thought. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.